The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. morning. It certainly is quite an extraordinary morning. As you know, I recently was at Daibosatsu for a few days, and I had a wonderful stay there. And in the morning after morning service, and breakfast, we have morning meeting. And each time we chant, and then there is a reading. So we just finished Points of Departure, Ada Roshi's book, about a couple weeks ago. And Joke decided that the next book that would be nice to have readings from would be Pema Chodron's The Places That Scare You, A Guide to Fearlessness in Difficult Times. I don't know how many of you have read this. Perhaps you have. It was, I think it came out in 2002. And it's really a wonderful book. So although I've read her things many times, I decided it would be nice to go back through it and... uh, and see how really pertinent it is to our practice. So I'm going to have a kind of Dharma dialogue with her. So I'll read a few sections and speak about them. And uh, you can too. All right. This is... Uh, starting chapter one, called The Excellence of Bodhicitta. And there's a quote that starts each chapter, and this is by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. How many of you know his work? Yeah, wonderful French writer. And the quote is, It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. We, of course, think only what we can see using the organ of sight, the vision of our eyes, can give us the information we need. But it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Or we might say, the true eye is the heart. True vision comes from the open heart. Everything else is yet another way of deceiving ourselves that what we see is real. 
So she says, when I was about six years old, I received the essential bodhicitta teaching from an old woman sitting in the sun. Bodhicitta, this is a term used a lot in Tibetan Buddhism, but not so much in Zen, so somebody might not know what it means. Anybody would like to say what is bodhicitta? Chitta is a mind. Awakened mind or the heart that sees. Another way of saying, okay, to go back to Saint Exupery, the heart mind that sees true reality. Bodhicitta, awakened mind, awakened heart. And this is what we're cultivating, whether we say our practice is Zen or Tibetan or Pure Land or. Christian, Jewish, whatever our practice may be, we are cultivating this warm, radiant awareness of our interconnectedness with all beings. So, bodhicitta. So, when I was about six years old, I received the essential bodhicitta teaching from an an old woman sitting in the sun. I was walking by her house one day, feeling lonely, unloved, and mad, kicking anything I could find. Does anyone here remember being a young person feeling that way? We just had our Dharma kids here, and none of them seemed that way, but I think probably they have had their moments, and we certainly have, right? Laughing, she said to me, little girl, don't you go letting life harden your heart. So much of our present difficulty stems from the misunderstanding that we need to harden our hearts to be safe. By being safe, we mean to keep that separate self from being harmed, that separation from being bridged. Because we've experienced so much pain that we have felt, that we have had to erect some kind of barrier, hardening You know, when we get older, people tell us you may have to change your diet because you've got hardening of the arteries, but hardening of the heart is really much more dangerous. We have to change our diet, our mental diet. Now, at this age, whatever age you are. I was thinking it might also be that when you're stressed and trying to isolate yourself, that could make you sick and actually harden your arteries. It may be just more than um, a philosophical thing where you think, well, I'm protecting myself and isolating myself. Mm-hmm. It might actually affect your body too. Not it only might, does. it does. And actually so much of the present day research in body-mind connection is saying that over and over that in our effort to 
protect what we ought to be allowing to be threatened. We are creating the right climate for illness. But we have to be careful because there's an easily, there's a slippery passage there from recognizing that to blaming oneself or another for getting sick. You know, if I, if I only had a more enlightened way of living, I wouldn't be sick. And that doesn't help. And unfortunately, there have been a number of um, kind of popular books, uh, I think Simonton, there are a few others, who, uh, where, where people read them and think, oh, it's my fault I got cancer. So that slippery slope we have to be mindful of. Yes, of course, body, mind are one. And often illness is caused by some manner of stress. I have this cyst that has to be removed from my back and uh, has to be cut out the whole area. So um, recently in an email, someone uh, was commiserating with me for taking on the whole burden of Daibosatsuzendo in its present moment of of certain kind of um, difficulty, challenge, uh, transition, whatever words you want to use, and said to me in this email, watch out, don't get knifed in the back. (laughs) I was like, well, I'm already going to be doing that. So yeah, there is that connection Certainly it's a metaphor, you know, to have some kind of toxic thing that you've been dealing with show itself that way and that we need to cut it out. So maybe my having a surgery tomorrow will clear, clear all that toxicity away from uh, Daibosatsu. Could be, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm willing so she says, Pema Chodron says, um, about this woman who said, don't you go letting life harden your heart. Right there, I received this pith instruction. We can let the circumstances of our lives harden us so that we become increasingly resentful and afraid. We can all relate to that, right? Looking back. Or we can let them soften us and make us kinder and more open to what scares us. We always have this choice. We've seen, I think, uh, we know many people who have dealt with uh, difficult circumstances by hardening their hearts. And we may say, why are you doing that? That doesn't help. And it's just like there's no way in because the hardening of the heart has already happened. So what can we do about that? Just have faith in the Dharma and patience. Great paramita of patience. Nothing stays the same. She says, 
those who train wholeheartedly in awakening unconditional and relative bodhicitta. She's, the paragraph before she explained unconditional bodhicitta is an immediate experience that is refreshingly free of concept, opinion, and our usual all-caught-upness. Relative bodhicitta is our ability to keep our hearts and minds open to suffering without shutting down. So she makes that distinction between the immediate experience of the open heart and the relative, the ability to train to be open to suffering. She says, those who train wholeheartedly in awakening unconditional and relative bodhicitta are called bodhisattvas or warriors. And I think that some of you may feel that warrior is a negative term. You associate it with perhaps harm, right? It does not have to be that way. So in the Buddhist sense, warrior is not about causing harm to others, but more like a Manjushri Bodhisattva holding a sword to cut through delusions is the true compassion. True compassion is cutting, not enabling. So tomorrow I get to be cut. It's all wonderful. Not warriors who kill and harm, but warriors of non-aggression who hear the cries of the world, she says. It's Kanzeon, right? These are men and women who are willing to train in the middle of the fire. What is your fire right now? Anybody? What's your fire? What are you in the middle of training? What are you willing What are you willing to train in the midst of right now? Unemployment. Unemployment. It's a really severe situation. Feeling insecure, worried, depressed. Nobody wants me. How many jobs have I applied for? And they all said no. This kind of feeling is a fire, definitely. Anyone else? What are you willing to train in the midst of? Employment. Hmm? Employment. <laughs> Maybe you can switch. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. It's always something. Remember who said that? Hmm? Another great bodhisattva. Huh? Gilda Radner on Saturday Night Live. She played Roseanne Rosanna Donna. It's always something. Then she died. So the point is being willing, right? Being willing to train in the midst of the fire. It's so often the case that we find a circumstance that we don't like almost any day of our lives, right? But to be willing to train in the midst of it is the point of our practice. To say, no, I don't like it, and walk away 
being unwilling to train in the midst of the fire. Training in the middle of the fire, she says, can mean that warrior bodhisattvas enter challenging situations in order to alleviate suffering. Now, it may not be literally so uh, comprehensible that someone is doing this. I read there were many stories in the New York Times this morning that were just wonderful in the front section. I read one about a doctor who's in his 50s who is employed by Miami Jewish Health Services or something like that, who has been uh, working with um, elderly in an assisted living situation. It's part of a huge complex of buildings. And uh, most of them are women widowed, and they went there because their husbands had Alzheimer's disease, and they finally died or were warehoused in some other place. But in any case, he's been working with these women who range from late 70s to mid-90s in ways that are so needed and yet rarely even acknowledged as a need to listen to how they feel, not about their physical ailments, but about things like grief, inability to sleep, hopelessness, fear of death. And rather than being the typical clinician, he wanders around in the halls and sits down at a card game and joins a little group for a meal. The fact that this is so rare is telling. The fact that it's more important than the 14 minutes a medical practitioner normally spends with a patient is also so telling. He is willing to enter challenging situations in order to alleviate suffering. And one of the circumstances he spoke about in this article was that, yes, women had lost their husbands and perhaps were separated by geography from their children, but the hardest thing was for, for them was the fact that their table mates were dying. The women in their small groups of uh, clubs or, you know, like my mother led the writing club at her place. And when she died, the women in that club were just devastated. My sister's continuing to go and work with them. But, you know, this kind of thing is rare, too. She's willing to enter the challenging situation. But... Almost every week, someone dies in an assisted living facility. And very often, the bonds that are formed at the end of one's life in a situation like that become very strong, may replace all the family bonds that one no longer has 
the option of continuing. The grandchild comes down in February for four days, and then the rest of the year, no one. So there are so many ways that we can train in the middle of fire. We don't even realize it. Joe working with the people who come here once a week from Home Inc. Once a week? Twice a week? Huh? Twice a week. And these are people who are basically discarded by society. You know, they're called, what, uh, disabled, brain damaged. Huh? Developmentally impaired. We have lots of terms. And the terms, the terms change all the time. But the point is, nobody really wants to be with people who are challenging in these ways. And to be a host and a teacher to them uh, twice a week is wonderful. Exactly. Training in the middle of the fire. Because you never know, right? It's not like they come in, they sit down and... You just kind of have a nice period of zazen. You may, or you may not. Someone may act out. Someone may have a real problem that day. You know, you, you never know. It also, she says, refers to their willingness to cut through personal reactivity and self-deception. I love this. This, you know, is for me, the most important thing of our training in the midst of fire. To cut through personal reactivity. Something happens, we don't like it, we react. Whether we do so in words or uh, in actions or just in thoughts, you know, doesn't really matter because how? Powerful the mind is. We may think, well, nobody could hear my thoughts, so I'm, I'm okay. That thought has ripples. This is training, okay, to see body, mind, speech. So to cut through personal reactivity, as it's coming up, to cut through. And not to think, well, I'm entitled to having this reaction. No. Cut through. And self-deception. Very important. It's so easy to deceive oneself. To think, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing what needs to be done. But maybe not. to their dedication to uncovering the basic undistorted energy of bodhicitta. She ends that sentence. It also refers to their willingness to cut through personal reactivity and self-deception, to their dedication to uncovering the basic undistorted energy of bodhicitta. We have to have this dedication. That's what we mean by vow, right? To uncover your true nature. It's there. It's right here in this very moment for each one of us. But we have to be dedicated to allow it. In other words, not to erect those barriers so that it gets 
somehow stifled or I can't act directly, has to seep through somehow, a little crack here and a little crack there. Cracks are very important. This is what we mean by being cracked open, heart cracked open. These cracks are when we've erected these barriers, the only way that this true nature can come through. But we don't have to rely on our own suffering, all right? That's the point. Training means we don't have to wait for something to crack. We can start dismantling that structure. And it's also amazing how many people um, wait until the last minute until death is actually... Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. they want to try and change things. Yeah, or uh, they say in the trenches there are no atheists. <laughs> That's basically the same. When you face death, suddenly you become much more open to what we may say, as she puts it, the basic undistorted energy of bodhicitta. She says, master warriors, many examples of master warriors, people like Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King, who recognized that the greatest harm comes from our own aggressive minds. They devoted their lives to helping others understand this truth. What more important thing to devote one's life to? Always training, so within, within, realizing the greatest harm comes from our own aggressive minds and then offering that understanding to others. Of course, you can't tell someone that. It doesn't work that way. But you can certainly model it. To go on with another quote, many of us prefer practices that will not cause discomfort. Yet, at the same time, we want to be healed. So here we are, we're sitting in a zendo, and we know that part of what we're doing is going to entail what? Discomfort. It's part of it. It just goes with it. We can't be still. We can't still the body and the mind without realizing some degree of discomfort. The more we do it, the less discomfort. It just, we're surprised to find that pain, discomfort, all the rigidity of ego protection can actually diminish. And no one can say, well, um, this is going to happen to you. Your, Your discomfort will diminish. You have to experience that in your own practice. And therefore, at the same time, you will be healed 
when you accept discomfort. Healing begins right there. Think about it. What creates more misery? What keeps us from being healed? Ourselves. (laughs) Pushing away discomfort. Fearing pain. You've all experienced this. Fear of pain makes what happen? Hmm? Huh? Fear of pain makes more pain. Because of what? You tense up and you create a monster. So what was just discomfort or kind of low-level pain becomes, oh my God, I'll never get through this. This happens a lot, you know. I had an interesting experience of this last night. I was ready to go to sleep. Light was off. And I was thinking, oh, you know, this will be nice. I'll actually get like seven hours sleep. And... I started getting a cramp in my leg. And this happens every now and then. And normally I get kind of fearful about it, like, oh, my God, it's going to get worse. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just be interested in it. Just kind of experience it as it is and investigate it and kind of... Watch it. So, for the first time since I've been getting these, I was aware that this pain was like a vice around my ankle. And I looked at that, and I noticed more subtleties about it, and how it changed, and how it kind of moved up a little bit, and then kind of gripped, and then my foot went into some sort of spasm and it was all so interesting when I wasn't trying to push against it you know like I've got to find another position so that this won't happen so I had this um, this feeling that it's really possible for us I had my own experience of just softening into whatever's happening by paying attention to the subtleties of what's happening instead of fearful resistance to what's happening. And that, of course, happens all the time in our zazen. Bodhicitta training, she says, doesn't work that way. That way meaning practices that will not not cause discomfort. A warrior accepts that we can never know what will happen to us next. This is the, in Japanese, bushido, ready to die. Very much a part of our Zen practice. Are you ready? We can try, she says, to control the uncontrollable by looking for security and predictability always hoping to be comfortable and safe, but the truth is that we can never avoid uncertainty. This not knowing is part of the adventure, adventure, and it's also what makes us afraid 
So to feel, okay, I don't know whether I'll ever get a job again, and that it's an adventure. It makes us afraid, yes, but let's feel what that fear is all about. Why not? That's the opportunity right now, right? Whatever, whatever is happening to us is the opportunity of this life, this moment. Not what we think it ought to be, but how it is right now. And if somebody said to you, well, yeah, you're saying you want to get out of where you are right now and get to someplace better, but guess what? This is your last moment. Maybe you would become more friendly with whatever's happening, right? Be less likely to push it away. Hey, this is your last breath. Oh, wow. Oh, this, this, uh, this ankle gripping feeling is really phenomenal. It's really wonderful. Guess what? It means I'm alive still. I have one more breath. Oh, great. Long breath. Then she says, Bodhicitta training offers no promise of happy endings. Well, if I just watch my ankle's pain, I will have no more pain. No. No promise. If you have that motivation to go into your practice, okay, if I, if I really train, if I really sit still, then I won't have any more pain in my life. Then you're just setting yourself up for all manner of not only disappointment, but a kind of continuation of this separate self barrier making misery. She says, This I who wants to find security, who wants something to hold on to, can, can finally learn to grow up. The central question of a warrior's training is not how we avoid uncertainty and fear, but how we relate to discomfort. How do we practice with difficulty, with our emotions, with the unpredictable encounters of an ordinary day? This is the point, right? How do we practice? How do we train within what is happening, not what we prefer? In another chapter, she says, it's hard to know whether to laugh or to cry at the human predicament. Here we are with so much wisdom and tenderness, and without even knowing it, we cover it over to protect ourselves from insecurity. Although we have the potential To experience the freedom of a butterfly, we mysteriously prefer the small and fearful cocoon of ego. Wonderful? Or as I've said many times, we really prefer to suffer. It's so familiar. It's the turf we know best. I'm going to stay right here in this suffering. Cocoon of ego. However, how do we work on that? That's important. The Buddha taught, she says, that flexibility and openness 
brings strength. And that running from groundlessness weakens us and brings pain. But do we understand that becoming familiar with the running away is the key? We may say to ourselves, for example, I shouldn't be running away from this pain. I should be opening to it. And that creates yet another level of suffering. Just like, I shouldn't be sick because that means that I, what, my my mind is bad? We are pretty funny. She says, openness doesn't come from resisting our fears, but from getting to know them well. In other words, openness doesn't come from castigating ourselves for having fear, or running away from fear, trying to find a place where we feel safe, but from getting to know that running away from fear, getting to know what it's like to fall over and over again, stumble on our own coping mechanisms, right? We all have our coping mechanisms. We realize they're not the best, that we ought to just let them go, but we have to get to know them before we can let them go. So then she says, rather than going after those walls and barriers with a sledgehammer, we pay attention to them. With gentleness and honesty, we move closer to those walls. We touch them and smell them and get to know them well. We begin a process of acknowledging our aversions and our cravings. Second noble truth. We become familiar with the strategies and beliefs we use to build the walls. Do you know how you build your walls? Do you know how they begin? Do you know what the first building block is? Have you looked at it? Not the past, but right in this time of your life. What are your strategies? She says, we become familiar with the strategies and beliefs we use to build the walls. What are the stories I tell myself? What repels me and what attracts me? We start to get curious about what's going on. Without calling what we see right or wrong, we simply look. We can observe ourselves with humor not getting overly serious, moralistic, or uptight about this investigation. Year after year, we train in remaining open and receptive to whatever arises. Slowly, very slowly, the cracks in the walls seem to widen, and as if by magic, bodhicitta, is able to flow freely. So the next time whenever that time may be that I'm here with you for a Sunday talk I will read and have a dialogue with Pema Chodron 
in the chapter, The Facts of Life.